What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of E4 Explicit Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have, for a second time, Rebecca Katz. What's up? Thank you for coming in. Or no, Pleasure. having us come in. Yeah, thanks. Again. Um, I, I hit you up as soon as, as soon as the coronavirus came out. I was like, hey, uh, do you think we could talk about this? Because this is kind of terrifying. So yeah. I want to focus our conversation on that mm-hmm. and, you know, what you got going on, obviously. But... But um, so so, how have you been? First of all, and like, what's what's been what's been happening? Uh, with the coronavirus. Yeah, we're just all like right. in general, you know. Yeah. So I mean, um, so I, we got to date ourselves, right? Today is February thirteenth. Yes, twenty twenty. So whenever somebody's, re- like, I think, and I say that because things are happening so fast. Yeah. That um, it's important to know, kind of know when we're having this conversation. Sure. So. Um, we had a new virus that emerged probably sometime in November. At the end of December, the Chinese uh, reported it to the World Health Organization. And since that time, it has been spreading exponentially. Um, the, numbers, the numbers are a little confusing, but uh, the numbers have at least doubled since the beginning of February. Jesus. And... Um, but in the last 24 hours, it's gotten even more confusing because the, um, the way we're counting cases has changed a little bit. So the number of laboratory-confirmed cases are now approximately 47,000, with the majority of all, all but about 500 of those cases in China. Um, the shift overnight was that um, uh, the epicenter of the outbreak in in um, in Wuhan and Hubei mm-hmm. province has started counting cases that have not been laboratory confirmed, and so that added an additional uh, twelve to thirteen thousand cases overnight. Whoa! But those aren't all cases that were found in the last twenty four hours. They, that potentially goes back in time a little bit. Yeah, to where so, it could have started. Yeah. So yeah. if we count those cases, we're currently at approximately sixty thousand cases worldwide. But that. Um, I think it is fair to say that that is the tip of the iceberg, that we actually don't know how many cases there are worldwide at this point. Oh, my God. Okay, so that's terrifying to me, I think. Because, I mean, you know, it was in it was in China, mm-hmm. and then they're like, does China have a, a tendency to, to kind of wait on these things until they become kind of like a, an international deal? Well, I, I don't want to say anybody has a tendency to do anything. Yeah. 15 plus years ago when SARS emerged, China got in a lot of trouble from the international community because it, it did sit on this, inf- it sat on the emergence of SARS for months before it shared any information with the World Health Organization. That is, they, since that time though, they've taken great pains to build up their public health infrastructure and become a much uh, stronger global actor. That being said, so, so countries are obliged to report when they have something that could constitute a public health emergency of international concern. Sure. That being said, many countries are slightly reticent to do that reporting because it's, it's a big deal. I mean, I th- on one hand, it's important for public health, but on the other hand, it may have, um, it may have implications on your travel and trade and your economy. So countries like to be sure of what they have before they report something. Sure. 
I think it's really, there's a lot of folks who are trying to comment right now on whether China is a good or bad actor in the international uh, fora at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to hold off on that. Yeah. Okay. Because so. Uh, so I'm going to, I just want to tell you some facts or some information that I have sure. on the coronavirus and you tell me if they're bullshit because <laughs> do my best. Yeah. Because like yeah. when we talked last time, you made a really good point of, you know, cause I asked how come, you know, when we talked about vaccines, how come there's so much misinformation mm -hmm. out there? And it's because you said like, you guys are this big and the, the Facebook, Instagram, all yeah. these social media platforms are, are so much larger. And yet people just saying whatever, I don't know how many times I click on an article and it's like, the, the, the clickbait from the person that posted it, I read it, I'm like, this actually has nothing to do with what the headline said. Now you are actually saying the opposite of what, it was just, it blew my mind. So I, I've seen a lot of stuff coming in yep. from this virus. And um, so they said, like we talked off camera, but like at first they were saying, because in Wuhan there's this like, I guess, open market mm -hmm. area where there's like a lot of like crazy animals that they have. like. Like, I don't even know. Like, they had all these like, snakes. And they had all these, like, I don't know if they're eating them or doing or trading yeah, or what. It's called a wet market. Okay, a wet market. First of all, what's a wet market? So a wet market, it, you see them in, in lots of parts of the world, but particularly in parts of Asia where it's, it is it is a market where you bring its – people come to buy things mostly to eat, but they want it super fresh. So it's the market itself has live or – um, very recently killed animals wow. and then on the spot you'll be like I want that chicken and so the person will slaughter the chicken and like right in front of you right in front of you and you know your meat is super fresh uh, so it's called wet because it gets kind of it's bloody you're yeah. washing stuff uh, down okay. all the time and that's that that's why it's called that so now is that basically like a breeding ground for yep disease and stuff like so that's where like so i think epicenter. there there is a fear that and what's been studied over the last couple of years is that are these are these wet markets opportunities for species jump so the ability for a virus in an animal to jump into a human sure. and if you think about it it's 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 kind of mushy right you you might have blood from uh, a chicken mixing with uh blood from a pig mixing with some some exotic animal that's being traded and people so all the things that we worry about around the around the, the, the notion we call one health right which is the idea that animal environment and human health are all linked together they're kind of perfect storms for thinking about where you might have jumps of, of disease from animals to humans yeah okay cool because that's what I I saw that on on news but, but, but that being said we <laughs> don't actually know that was the original reports was that the virus emerged from this wet market sure. in Wuhan actually it was a seafood market but it sold all sorts of stuff yeah it's some and then there were reports stuff. that it, it looked like it was from a snake or from yeah. a bat why we don't know this yet is because some uh, more recent epidemiologic work is showing that the first case so so the cases in December they thought were linked this first 30 plus cases were linked to this fish market but we're now hearing that the um there are earlier cases that go back to november and we don't yet know where those cases came from wow so i think that's why it's really hard at this point to say definitively yes this this emerged from a bat and it jumped into humans in this location uh, there's still a lot of 
uh, investigative work that needs to be done to to know definitively where this came from. Okay, so yeah, because that's that's the thing I saw. As first, it was a snake, and then then they showed like this these crazy footage of yeah. like bat soup, like this raw bat just sitting in a in a bowl with soup in it. And then I'm like I'm thinking like oh my god, like it, like like what the hell? And then <laughs> but but my thing is like so I know when I talked to you last time, you said your biggest fear was having like an influenza going around like a hundred years ago Mm -hmm. when it killed 50 to a hundred million people. And you said at that point it was a fraction of what it could be now. Cause I remember you saying if something like the swine flu or whatever it was actually did what that did a hundred years ago, it would be like completely catastrophic to the world. So what's the difference between this Corona? Is it, is it like an ammonia thing? Is it a lung thing or what's the difference between the flu and the, the Corona? Well, let me get back to your your first point, which was um, if you asked anybody from my community what their biggest fear was, like what was going to be the thing that was going to cause the next pandemic, the answer would almost always be either a new strain of pandemic influenza or a coronavirus because it acts very similarly, right? It it transmits very similarly. It's it's a respiratory virus. That being said, I don't want to fear monger. At this point, we don't really know what this is going to look like. Okay. And the, the reason why that was something that everybody worried so much about is that those viruses transmit very easily. Sure. Right? If you, if you have if you have a cold, you're going to give me the cold, right? It's like definitely going to happen, well, yeah. More it, than likely. More than likely, right? And so, and, and we, we capture that by something called the R-naught, and, which is the epidemiologically, it's how many people on average one person will infect so the influence respiratory viruses tend to be relatively high or not they're like a little the bit ebola is like i can't even give it to you if we were sitting like this yep. you could not give it to me. i would have to actually have to touch you okay and and i would have to touch and i'd have to get your sweat and then i have to like rub my yeah. eye so it's when you think about how to contain a respiratory virus it's a lot harder okay uh, it's a lot easier if something is transmitted sexually or there's a behavior modification that you can identify. So I think that's, that's really frightening. And then the other thing that you then look at is what's the case fatality rate. So if 100 people got the flu, how many of those 100 people would have a severe course of the disease and how many would die? For the 1918 influenza, where 50 to 100 million people died around the world, case fatality rate was relatively small. So we were looking at under, you know, somewhere between one and 3%. But that many people died because it's a respiratory virus and it spread so easily around the world. Mm -hmm. I think one of the fears right now is certainly the difference between 100 years ago is we're in a much more globalized society. People travel around the world and you can be anywhere in the world in 24 to 36 hours, um, as opposed to a virus that really spread along like, you know, boats yeah, going across the yeah, ocean yeah um so so there's there's great fear on that it looks the, the really positive news to date is that it looks like the case fatality rate for this novel coronavirus is pretty low really yeah we don't actually know though in part because we don't really know what our denominator is we don't know exactly how many people have been infected so Right now, it looks like it's about 2% based off of the numbers that we know. So if, um, if 100 people got infected with the coronavirus, it looks like on average 
about 80 of those folks would have a mild illness. Okay. The, the rest of the, well, actually it's like 82% it looks like right now. The rest of those, the, the, the other 18 folks would need to be hospitalized and about three of them would require ICU. Oh, wow. And, of and the, maybe die. Right. Wow, okay. So that's what we're seeing right now. The problem is, well, for good and bad, the, for good and bad is we don't really know what the denominator, we don't know how many people have been infected. Sure. There's a chance that um, it might be possible to, tr to be asymptomatic, so to have the virus but not show any symptoms, and it may be possible to, at that point, transmit it. So if I, if I was Jeez. sick, I might be perfectly fine, but I still might be able to get you sick. That's really worrisome when we think about what our containment measures are. Sure. But the, if you want to try to find the positive in things, the positive on that would be that we, there might be a, a whole bunch more people who are actually have the virus than we know about, which means that that case fatality rate is going to get even lower, lower and lower. Yeah, yeah. So now if that is, is asymptom, asymptomatic. It? Asymptomatic. Yeah. So, so that means, does that mean, though, if I am not showing any signs that I would eventually get sick or when I do get sick, it, it's just going to go from like, it's like not, you know, Finding out you have stage four cancer when you've had it, when if you would have found it at stage one, you might have been able to, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's different in that. So so there's different terminology we use. There's sure. asymptomatic is, you know, you have the virus, but you have no symptoms. Um, we also look at something called, um, you know, how, how long um, the incubation period is. So that means that if, if you got the virus, it might take between two and 14 days for you to show symptoms. So if you got the virus, you might not actually get sick until day 14. That's why the quarantine, um, peop so the people who are being quarantined are being quarantined for 14 days. Wow. Because after that 14 days, we think, well, it, that's, that, that's the outer limit we, that we know of for that transmission site. Wow. So you might be fine at that point. Might be fine at that point. As, as much as we know, I know right? I, mean, I think I the point here is I that there's a lot of uncertainty in yeah. an outbreak. And so what do you do, there's a you know? tremendous amount of information that is flowing. There's a lot of people moving incredibly fast and spending many, many hours with very little sleep trying to, to work on this. Sure. But y you have to make decisions under uncertainty. Sure. Wow. So, okay. like, the, so like you said, it's more of a respiratory thing. Now, so, for instance, my girlfriend, she has she was in Orlando. She was at mm -hmm. a big conference in Orlando, went there like day one, got sick that night. Then she went to the um, urgent care the next morning or the next day. And they were like, yeah, you got the flu. So she now the flu can be transmitted the same way as the, yep. the coronavirus, right? Just mm -hmm. by touching almost. Right. Or is it airborne? It's airborne. It's oh, respiratory. Shit. Right. So it's not it's not touching, but instead it, it's, um, you know, if you cough or sneeze on somebody. Oh my God! And then the, the, the particles the are in the air. Well, the if you if she, if you're in the same room and she coughs or sneezes, those particles are in the air. So should I? Be, now we also have a dog. I don't. I have no idea what no, the well, impact I, is I, on I, the dog. I, I googled <laughs> it, but I googled it, and it was like the dogs can't. Like that's not something that they can transmit the, Great. the, the flu. So, so but I'm saying now she's in our bedroom, and mm -hmm. I actually slept in our spare bedroom last night. Right, good move because yeah. the room, I guess, is filled with her coughing and this and that. So saying every time I walk in there to check on her to bring her chicken little soup, I am potentially 
it could get infected. So I need to quarantine her is what you're saying. I, I am not saying <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm definitely not saying that. I'm just that. kidding. Yeah. Um, also, here, here's my, my public health professor, like, pet peeve. Yeah. Um, there's quarantine. There's isolation. Yeah. I know. I remember talking about yeah. this. Quarantine's like. Quarantine's if you're, if you're well. Yeah. Isolation is if you're sick. Interesting. Okay. Because that's obviously, I mean, there's a movie called Quarantine. Like, they make it like this. It's a scarier word than isolation. It's a super scary word. Yeah. But it's also super scary because I, if you're sick, you're sick. You, um, you know, the idea of being isolated also implies you're also going to be treated. Sure. Quarantines, you're not, you're, you're been exposed potentially, but you're not sick. And instead, you're just looking around being like, what, when am I getting sick? Yeah. And just waiting. You're, it's a waiting you're waiting. Game. You're waiting, and you might see somebody else get sick next to you. You're like, oh my gosh, it's gonna get worse. So it's 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 um, mentally a lot tougher. Interesting. I, th- I think. Yeah, I remember you said that. Like you said, if we were quarantined in here, like we would basically have to just wait in here until. Well, with this, 14 days. Wow. Oh my god. Right. So now, if you think about all that, there, there's um, the situation with the cruise ships. Oh, yeah, I heard about right? that. Right? So yeah. there's cruise ships where people have been infected. There's one that's docked off um, the coast in Japan. And people have been told you have to stay in your in your room. Now, if, you're, if you've got a, a window, maybe that's a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but think about, like, an internal room where you're stuck in there. They're small, too. And you're just waiting. And every day you're hearing that more and more people on the boat have become infected. Now, this is with the coronavirus. This is with coronavirus. This is happening right now. Wow. Okay. So why is it named the coronavirus? Is it just because like... Oh, it's just the name of the virus. So it has... Um, uh, it's... it's uh, viruses are named in different families. This is the coronavirus family. Okay. Um, it actually just got a new name this week. I saw from that. WHO. Like we, so it's now COVID-19. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's That's the name of the disease. The virus has a different name. But that's fine. We'll call it COVID. Okay. So, so now... They're saying it's a disease because it's got to a certain level or why they changed the name or why they they just um, they were too busy at the beginning of the outbreak to actually go through a naming process. And now there's. We have a history of naming things after the place that it came about or the population, and both of those things tend to lead to long term stigmatization or bias like swine flu. Right. Or Lyme disease named after like Lyme, Connecticut. So. You know what does that do to the real estate prices that's in Lyme, Connecticut? Yeah. Um, so Damn, that's crazy. To think right. About so there's that. this now this entire process for how we name a disease. So what? part of that is trying to come up with a name that is accurate, but doesn't impose bias on any certain population or wow. animal or something. That's actually pretty smart because that, like you said, that could have long-term mm-hmm. effects of and it. And we already see stigmatization. So we already see, um, we're starting to see it of people from China. And oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. there's now a push to, you know, go to your local Chinese restaurant. Nothing will happen to you, and it supports them oh, instead really? of them shutting down. I'm not going to lie. Low-key, when we were traveling, every time I would see, like, like, like an Asian person or whatever, I would, I would just be like, you know, they, is it something that they always have with when they wear the mask? Is that Because I always see pictures, videos and, and on, on TV. Masks? Always, and it's only in like Asian, mainly just China. Yeah, but you'll also see it in certain parts of where there's um, large Asian populations that congregate. Okay. So parts of New York, you'll see people. Oh, for masks, sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There's a couple things going on there. 
Uh, one is that um, there's been some experience over the last few years of respiratory viruses. Uh, it's also, say, in Beijing, the pollution is so bad is that a lot bad. of people have taken to wearing masks. So it's it's less socially awkward. Got it. Um, and now, and and you know, for for parts of the world that have gone through H5N1 or H1N1, it there's a it's like a cultural shift. So it's if you're on the street in Hong Kong right now, if you are not wearing a mask, you're like you're looked at almost. as like yeah, who are weirdo, you? yeah, exactly. Or it's not even just weirdo. It's you're not participating in public health. Ah, that makes like, sense. What, what you are, you are not being part of our community, sure. and we are all doing this to try to, to stop protect ourselves, but also to protect our neighbors. Got it. So that's that's kind of a, that's a little more ingrained. I, it, that's not something that's ingrained in the in the U.S. for the most part. No. And I'm I'm really curious if we'll get to that point. So we've started to see people wearing masks around town. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily be, it, it might be because they're sick, but it also might be just as, you know, that's what you do. Yeah. You, you put it on and you not only protect yourself, but you protect your neighbor. So how does the if it's air, OK, so if it's airborne, obviously, if you're blocking your nose and your mouth, it can't get through the filter. Right. Depends what kind of mask you're wearing. OK, like you said, off camera, you have to be wearing the right mask and wearing it right. So exactly. how do you how do you what would you recommend and how would you recommend using it? So there's a lot of guidance out right now around masks. Um, some of it is what you don't want right now is a run on mass because there's only so much supply. Like and the little blue ones? Well, yeah, like, right, the surgical masks, mm -hmm. something like that. There's only so much supply right now. Um, from a supply chain perspective, most of them are made in China. Oh. So it's a it's a bit of a it challenge like at the moment. It comes with the virus. It's like here. No, 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 no it's I'm just kidding. Like the, the Chinese need them, right? <laughs> yeah, or their yeah. factories have shut down. Wow. So, um Clearly, the most important uh, folks who need masks are healthcare workers. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. So, what you don't want is a situation where the worried well are buying up all the masks and then the healthcare workers don't have any. Yeah. So, I think there's a lot of trying to figuring out what's the best guidance to give the general population with that in mind, with that you, you, we need to have enough supplies for the hospitals and the people that are actually sick. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, also, part of this is we need to continue to understand this virus. So initially, it's it was thought that it was you know large droplet sizes. Now maybe it's um, smaller droplet sizes. So the size of the the droplet where the where the virus is impacts what kind of mask you need. So we know now. I well we believe we know. Again, it's all yeah. the whole point is there's a lot of uncertainty, sure. and you kind of kind of roll with it a little bit. Um, at this point, we we don't believe that the cloth one. So you, you saw sometimes like people go and get the like Burberry mask. Yes, that doesn't work. Wow. I mean, it's it's nice. It's it looks prettier, <laughs> um, but there's not a lot of evidence that that's terribly helpful. Is it more helpful than nothing? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Depends maybe, how you're wearing but it. You still don't know. Like you yeah. don't know. Um, the next level are those surgical masks. So the ones where you like put it behind your yep. ear and the like little blue, those are supposed to be better, but you have to keep them over your nose and your mouth. Um, it might not. It, so what you don't want is uh, pulling it down, talking to somebody, hey. putting it back up. Yeah, like, yeah. Using that wrong is it's, it's pointless. It's, it's, 
again, who knows if it's completely pointless, but it's not good. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it's just it, it, it very it's very situational. Now there's um, the next level and 95s. So those are the ones you can get like Home Depot. Sure. Um, and they filter out yeah, they uh, have smaller like size particle. Exactly. Yeah. Problem is those have to be fitted. And so a lot of times people wear them and not actually like fit them over your nose yeah. and, and do a tight seal. They're also designed to be one-time use. <sighs> so masks are helpful, they're important. Um, but again, it's all part of this larger context of making sure we have enough for the right people. Are you doing all the other things in conjunction with a mask? Sure. Like if you're if you're wearing a, ma a surgical mask, but you're like not washing your hands and you're touching your eyes and like, you oh, keep pulling God. it down to talk, right? Me. All the things that we do, then it's it it's, it's defeats it's less, the purpose of them, or it's less less effective. It's less effective. Okay. Right. right. So instead, there's this kind of combination of guidance right now about how to just take good public health measures to to wash your hands often, to cover your cough, right? So like well, that. So, yeah, that move. Right. Okay. Um, to uh, not touch your eyes <laughs> or your mouth or nose all uh, the time, I right? Do I, all I have to like this. sit on my hands, right? I do yeah. that all the time. We all do. Um, to to stay if you are in a room, if you see somebody who is visibly sick, to stay away from them. <laughs> I've literally done everything you just said. Like I'm like I I oh my god. Right, I'm, we all do. We all do. So it's 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 kind of hard guidance to, to feel like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely do something. The other guidance is that's been floating around is to get a, a flu shot. Now, the flu shot will not protect against the coronavirus. No. But as you just pointed out, there is a lot of flu that's circulating right now. Sure. And there's a lot of people who are getting sick and having to go to the hospital because of flu. So you get a flu shot. It's good public health advice anyway because um, it will – ideally protect you against flu, or um, if not full protection, then make your course of disease a little less severe. Yeah. So it's good for you. It's also good for the healthcare system. So if they are seeing less flu patients, they can focus no on the folks stuff. who come. Yeah, they yeah. can focus on other stuff. Oh man, okay, so so basically, you know, all the stuff that you're taught as like a kid almost, wash your hands, mm -hmm. don't, you know, cover your mouth when you're coughing. Yeah. I mean, do cover your mouth when you're coughing. Please. Um, yeah, <laughs> don't. Um, so so all those basic things that a lot of people aren't doing. Now, now you're making me want to go, like as soon as we leave, I'm going on like Amazon or whatever website and I'm going to get like, like a $100 like mask that's like matte black. It's like official. All sold out. Oh shit! All right. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, for a while, I think like the N95s were sold out on Amazon, but oh my um, god! But that's part of yeah. People are definitely interested in buying them. That's just like I haven't checked this week. I'm definitely gonna check because I want like I want to get like a nice one, and then that way when I go into <laughs> when I do, go take care of her, I can like you know I'm gonna bring some gloves. I was I told her jokingly I, I should just get like a hazmat suit. I that's probably not a bad idea, right? I listen when you live with somebody. It's hard. Clearly, you know that you, you spread disease amongst all each right, other. All right, all right, fine. I'll take I'll take one on the chin then. I guess. All right. Well, I, I kind of assumed I was already going to get sick with her anyway, and my throat this morning was kind of. Uh, yeah, so should I? You know. Yeah. Right. Why I was going to cancel this? <laughs> no, no. I was just kidding. But I feel fine actually. But like you said, you could feel fine, and then I'm, I could be a asymptomatic, type asymptomatic. Right. Well, you don't transmit flu 
that way though. Oh. Okay. At so least I believe. I'm not a clinician, so I'm I'm never still, gonna give like, like clinical advice. No, no, I know. But but like okay, let me ask you this. The H one N one, right? Yeah. Was that from China too? Um actually H one N one emerged in uh Mexico. That's right. In the Americas. Well, the first documented cases were in, in Mexico. Um unclear exactly where the first Sure, sure. Where, where the emergence actually happened, but so okay. So my your biggest fear is that my biggest fear is like, like us thinking that we know. Like for instance, like like World War Z, like this thing that came out of nowhere and then turned everyone into zombies. Yep. Like my thing is like, oh, this coronavirus might be. You know, we don't know a lot about it now. I read this morning or last night that that things are actually declining. Like, um, you know what I mean? Like cases are declining or just whatever. Something is declining. Is that so? Um. Over the last week, every day, China has reported over 3,000 new cases. Those numbers are going down a little bit. So it was in the 2000s last night. Those laboratory-confirmed cases. Not the ones that aren't confirmed. Exactly. So that's a good trend, clearly. Yeah, yeah, anything. Um, I don't know how much to say about that at this point. You just don't know enough. We don't know enough. Okay. We don't know how, how... um, so the Chinese took incredibly um, robust action to try to contain the virus. They basically put almost 60 million people on lockdown. In Wuhan? In a whole in bunch of whole different cities. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. In the province and a couple other cities. I mean, get your mind around that. Yeah, 60 that's million people. Like, only the Chinese could even think about that logistically. Yeah. So Wuhan was one of those cities that went into lockdown. The cordon sanitaire, call it. Um, before they actually went into lockdown, five million people left the city. Jesus, it was also Chinese New Year too, or about Could, to be. It, right, so a time where you know, immense travel, three hundred million people travel. Yeah. Um, so, it just uh, if we just focus on those five million people who left the city before the lockdown, these lockdowns have, um, I think, uh, slowed the spread, but the horse was already kind of out of the barn. Sure. So it's really hard to say what the the next two months are going to look like. Yeah. And to me, I think, actually, it's about a month and a half of, of what's going to tell what the story is. Okay. Because it's if you take those 14, that 14-day 14 incubation period, what is the next four? Like, if we take three of those, three of those incubation periods, yeah. then we'll have a much better sense of whether the cases are slowing in China, whether we're starting to see more around the world. Remember, we went from under 40 cases at, at the beginning of January to now over 60,000. Yeah. So, it's a huge jump. In, in that same kind of three transmission cycle. Okay. So, I think this is really what's going to, it's this period of time we're going to know. Is this something that we're going to be really dealing with for the next six to eight months, or will it start to slow? Okay. So how do you, if you have the, the what's it called, Co- COVID? COVID. COVID. Right? COVID. COVID. You get COVID. Um, if you have COVID, is it, uh, what, how do you stop it? How do you, like, you know what I mean? Is there, oh, hey, come get your shot for COVID, and it's over, or? Yeah, at the moment, no. At the moment, there are no, there's no vaccine, and there's no um, uh, therapeutics. So there's you, you give supportive care. 
right? Come on, Johnny. A little like, bit, right? I'm, it's I'm, like, you know, the things that you do to keep people okay, but without an actual treatment. Like fluids and like mm-hmm. electrolytes. All that stuff. Really? And, um, but there's some trials that are going on of seeing if, if uh, existing antivirals are effective. There is a lot of, there's a lot of effort right now to put a lot of money really quickly into developing possible vaccine candidates. So um, there's vaccine a group candidates. What's that? People? No, no, no. Sorry. Oh. A, a possible vaccines. Okay. So there's an organization called CEPI. Um, that is a public-private partnership with a bunch of countries and some philanthropies that is investing in research and development. And I believe they currently have four candidates for um, the coronavirus that they are they're funding right now. Oh wow. Um, there's a bunch of other groups that are also trying to do research and development and try to come up with what that vaccine might look like. Yeah. Um, the best estimates I have heard have been that there might be a candidate available in 16 weeks and then you have to go into trials in, in humans. Yeah. Um, the WHO is saying it's more like one to two years out before you have a vaccine. Jesus. And then, so like, because for instance, the flu, the flu um, shot mm-hmm. doesn't mean like it almost has to match up, right? The flu shot with that type of flu has to match up for it to be effective, right? Right. So, could that happen where like, oh, cool, we got this vaccine for the coronavirus. One to two years later, oh, it comes back. We use that vaccine, and it's not effective because it's changed in some way, like molec- like like yeah, the molecules. Yeah. So if, it, if it's if it's um, mutated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, predict the future, Rebecca. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, coronaviruses certainly can mutate. Uh, we haven't seen that much mutation in in MERS, and that's been circulated since 2012. MERS? Uh, so SARS is a coronavirus. Uh, oh, shit, kind of really? the cousin from SARS is MERS, uh, so uh, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's... Um, so we've seen about 2,000, 2000 cases since 2012 from MERS. It's never really sustained um, multiple generations of human-to-human transmission. It's mostly been um, isolated animal-to-human. Interesting. Um, and then there's been a couple of, of, of more kind of discrete outbreaks that have happened. So the um, – and also side note – can you, all the kids at home, can you, so when you see a, a thing of 20,000 people a year die from the flu, I think mass majority, mass, 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 vast majority, vast, yeah. vast majority of them are, are elderly uh-huh. and, and newborn infants, right? Not like a able-bodied 31 year old, right? You're like, am I okay? Yeah. Am I good? Yeah. <laughs> like, am I going to die? No. You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. that's like a stat that I feel like is very fear mongering and thrown out there a lot. So often seasonal influenza, there's two different kinds of influenza. There's pandemic strains and there's seasonal strains. Which is the pandemic, which is like a corona. No. Nope. All right. All right. See? So, <laughs> so for influenza. Got it. There's seasonal influenza, which mm-hmm. is what we get every single year. Allergies. So when you go get your annual shot, your uh-huh. f- and, and you will all get your annual shot, yeah. that's for the seasonal influenza. And there might be multiple strains that are circulating in any given year, and okay. that's why you get a different one every year because it's different strains. Okay. Um, most of the folks who have a really adverse, I mean, 
nobody has a flu is bad. Yeah. Like if you really get the flu, you're sick. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, you are home and you are really sick. It's different from a cold. It's miserable. It's miserable. Yeah. The folks who end up in the hospital or get secondary pneumonia do tend to be the elderly. Okay. So we've, um, I haven't checked the numbers in a couple weeks, but a couple weeks ago, 8,000 U.S. citizens had already died from flu. And 100,000 had been hospitalized. Since 2020? Um, this season. This oh, 1920 got it. season. Got it. Um, so peop- we, we had a year a couple years ago where 80,000 American citizens died of flu. So it does kill a lot of people. Jesus. The average is like 20,000 20, people every year. So, But you're right. It is mostly elderly. Pandemic strains of influenza. So that would be H1N1 or H5N1, so avian or swine flu. Mm-hmm. Those act a little bit differently. So they tend not to have the same type of seasonality. Um, they, I mean, they'll, whether, you know, only circulating when it's cold versus hot. Got it. Um, and some of those strains, we've actually seen a, a flip. So like the 1918 influenza pandemic, that acted in kind of a weird way in that it, it basically turned your own immune system against you. So the people with the very strongest, best immune system were the folks who got the sickest and died. What? Exactly, right? Which is why in 1918, a lot of the deaths were in super healthy, you know, uh, military age men. Wow. Um, which was con- particularly problematic since we were in the middle of World War One. Yeah. Um, so it really depends. So now the coronavirus is a separate family. Okay. Like it's not an influenza. Um, to date, most of the people who have had a severe experience with coronavirus have been, the guy from WHO uh, said elderly, you know, over 40. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a second. Yeah. Over 40 <laughs> or over 60? <laughs> Are you so, calling me elderly? Yeah. I, right. Like, uh, how Come do on. I feel about this? Um, but it was it was most of the folks who had a severe experience have been older or having an underlying under underlying health condition got it um but not always we have seen there have been examples of folks who were in their 30s who had been looked like they were previously healthy who succumbed to the coronavirus damn and now you said the corona is like the family like it's, the, the, fam- it's yeah. like the it's the family of viruses got it okay do you see that that um that guy that doctor in mm-hmm. wuhan so he was in his 30s and he didn't die though i read uh, the article said a doctor dies and when i read it it says he didn't die they retracted that he's in critical condition regardless so to my knowledge he has died oh wow but i i again there's a this is i think speaks to a lot of the back and forth and sure how information is controlled in in that regime so put it in perspective of like how because we're obviously talking to China. China's talking to a bunch of other countries because all these other countries are now having cases pop up of coronavirus. So mm-hmm. how of a, how massive of a job or or whatever is that to kind of conduct not only your own quarantine of or, or lockdown of 60 yeah. million people on top of working with, you know, a dozen other countries? So it's more than that. It's 196 countries, right? What? So, well... I think this is the job of the World Health Organization. Okay. So okay. we 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 have a UN entity that who? Yeah. Who? <laughs> I mean, when you email WHO. Me, who? I'm like, what do you mean who? Who's, who's who? <laughs> who? Like, what? What? Yeah. 
So I, I, I call it WHO. Yeah. Um, it is their job, and we the, the member states, so all 196 countries, have empowered the WHO for global governance of disease. So there is a treaty. It's called the International Health Regulations. Mm -hmm. And in that, um, it outlines the responsibilities of the WHO for this very, very kind of event. Interesting. Right. So it's actually the WHO's responsibility to be, uh, you know, the... Um, the keepers of the evidence oh, wow. to being able to share that information with all the other member states to providing. So it's they were the ones who declared this a public health emergency of international concern on January 30th. Mm. Um, once they do that, they also provide evidence based travel and trade recommendations. Then the countries are supposed to abide by them, but most of them aren't. Um, because WHO said no travel and trade recommendations and a whole bunch of countries put, say, like travel bans in place. Um, so, so that they are the organization that is supposed to be governing the global response. Really? So, and, and they're obviously funded from all the 196 countries, no? They're funded? Yeah. Aren't, aren't they? Well, yeah, they're obviously. funded as a UN organization. So oh. that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole other podcast, yeah. how they are funded. They're funded through assessed and voluntary contributions, and actually only about 20% of their budget is from the assessed contributions. The rest are voluntary. Wow. And every time there's an outbreak, they – so they – after – after Ebola West Africa, they set up um, a contingency fund for emergencies, mm -hmm. which was supposed to be, you know, here's $100 million, and, you know, when a new event happens, they could just use that money and go. Uh, but what ends up happening is every time there's an emergency, they end up issuing a, an appeal, saying, please, countries, Gates Foundation, help us out. Yeah. So, so it is a nonstop hustle to try to get the money we need to protect the world. That's since I remember you telling me about the Gates Foundation last time of how they had that cool like thing on the website oh, yeah. where it showed you like it just gave you basically a, uh, a diagram of like if what was it like if if some disease happens this is the outcome and stuff like that as far so as So what they had done and um and uh, Gates Bill, Bill and Gates Melinda published Gates. Yeah. an article. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in New, New England Journal of Medicine, but I have to double check, um, that where his, his team of modelers modeled out the, the probability of a large-scale pandemic that could kill 30 million people. And then what they were able to do in that visualization is look at, okay, so if we, if we were able to get a vaccine quickly, um, if we were able to get a vaccine into the general population within a year, how many lives would be saved? Sure. And then they were able to say, well, if we could get a vaccine into, into the population within six weeks, we would save 29 million lives. So clearly that's the goal, right? Yeah. Of how fast trying to move the, the, the global um, research and development community to a place where they can rapidly develop medical countermeasures. Yeah. Yeah, no, I looked at that graph when I got home and I started like playing with it where yeah. it was like, oh, if you respond in this time, only this many people will die. And that's, that's actually the entire theoretical framework behind what we do, is yeah. that if you can detect that something's happening quickly, then you can respond quickly, then you can save lives. Yeah. If you don't, this is why the asymptomatic stuff is so scary, because if you don't even know that something's going on until a whole bunch of people are infected, yeah. then it's hard to save those yeah. lives. And then also wherever it comes from, like the country itself has to kind of like 
be responsible enough to announce like, hey, listen, like we got some serious shit over here. And have the capacity. I think That's one true. of the fears with this outbreak is that it might, it will, so China has pretty sophisticated public health infrastructure. Yes. The United States has pretty sophisticated public health infrastructure. Um, what about all the countries that don't? don't? Yeah. So the, if, if, the, if the key is detecting, what do you do if you end up in a country that doesn't have good laboratory diagnostics and a weak surveillance system? Not because they don't want to, just because they don't have the yeah, resources. Yeah, the resources. Yeah, there's a ton. Probably more than not. There are, um, uh, in, the, in the era of One Belt, One Road, the Chinese have done a lot of work in Africa. There's a tremendous amount of um, population movement between China and Africa. We, uh, Ethiopia Air is continuing to fly from China to Africa. Um, there's a lot of countries in sub-Saharan Africa that don't have strong diagnostic testing capacity. And in fact, the, um, I think South Africa was the first country just to begin testing Jesus. for coronavirus uh, this week. So I think one of the fears is going to be, um, has the virus already reached Africa? My guess is yes. Um, and not just Africa, it's whole, like which parts of Africa. Yeah, is if it's it, like it West Africa, like remember like what we talked about last time. Is it going to Nigeria? I mean, you can, yeah. there's a whole bunch of folks who have tried to start doing the modeling of where the, where the flights go. Sure. And, um, and from those locations, you know, what's the, when, then what does the secondary transmission look like? What is, the, what is the capacity of those countries to deal with this? If, on the other hand, 80% of the people who are getting sick are not getting all that sick, well, then they have some other problems they have to deal with first. So there, there continues to be an Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is of concern. It is continues to be a public health emergency of concern. Um, there is there are really horrible things happening where the first responders are continuing to be attacked violently. That's right. But there's also been more people who have died in the country from measles during the same period of time. So I think one of the things is going to be how to how to man if if the if the virus lands in a in a population that has all sorts of other health problems, it, there's still going to be a question of how to prioritize yeah. what what you respond to and and how you manage like that. What's more important, coronavirus, the Ebola, or the measles? You know? I don't know. Yeah, that's um, crazy. And I think the those those ministers of health are going to be in a really tough situation. Damn, that sucks. It does suck. Um, about, uh, so which is why it gets back to we know what we need to do to build capacity to prevent detect and respond to these outbreaks yeah it's it's not a secret yeah it's just been incredibly frustrating and difficult to find the resources to help help countries build their capacity and for the countries themselves to prioritize this amongst all the other things that they have to do yeah if you had a magic wand Right. Two, two mm. questions. One is a magic wand. And it was like, OK, boopity bop. Anything you did with that magic wand, you, like you could fix anything in the world. What would like how would that work? Like if you could fix like would you just like eliminate diseases? Would you find a cures for everything? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what would oh. you do if you could fix Man, my list is so <laughs> long? I don't that's unfair. Or maybe just stick to the coronavirus, I guess. I don't know. What would you do to like... I was going to say, could I get a good pull-up? Like yeah. <laughs> like a handstand push-up finally? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, clearly, and, 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 you know, 
and and then the mom in me is like, well, I, you know, I want maternal health for my children. Of course, yeah, right? live forever. Um, around coronavirus, it would be really fantastic if we could get a, a effective, safe medical countermeasure really quickly. For just the coronavirus. Yeah, but um, I mean, I. I think getting to the point where we have a research and development infrastructure that has the capacity, that is well-funded, that, that, that is able to integrate all the really fantastic advances in science that are happening, and that can get to a point where we really can develop these um, drugs and vaccines quickly so we can save lives. Yeah. I think that, that would probably be my magic wand. So just have I mean, like I, the, the academic in me is like yeah. you know, international norms and global governance disease and better systems for information sharing yeah. and figuring out how to handle all this misinformation. But I, you know, and, and then it's not just for coronavirus, right? Then it's, then it's a platform and a system that can be operate, operationalized for whatever the, the latest threat is. Yeah, okay, so like what is, if you had, you know, in your in your crystal ball of telling the future, predicting the future, what what do you see, or what what's your gut telling you about this particular coronavirus? I don't know. Um, as I mentioned before, I think I think in the next month, month and a half, we'll have a much better sense of is this going to wrap up by June, or is it, are we going to are we are we entering into a phase where we have to kind of um, really shift our thinking on a, on a whole bunch of fronts? So you know, do we get to a point where it is the norm for everybody to walk around with a mask? Do we have to get to a point where we have to really think very carefully about our supply chain management? Do you know that almost everything in an emergency room um, on a crash cart mm -hmm. has at least a part of that that's made in China? So if we are disrupting our supply chains, and in this wonderful globalized society, what does that, what does that look like? And how, do we have to really change our thinking about um, where, we, where we make stuff, w redundancies in our systems? Um, do we get to a point where, as I said, well, everyone's wearing masks, do we think about mass gatherings differently? Uh, do we think about travel and trade differently? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, and I think guessing at this point is, is difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I am incredibly hopeful that the tide will turn and this will, this will kind of go back into the vault or wherever it came from, yeah. right? kind of like SARS did. Um, but I, I don't know and I think it's too early to tell. I do feel though that we have to switch our mindset from containment to mitigation. So are we, are we making sure, I, as I mentioned, I think the horse is out of the barn. I think it's, um, it was hopeful, but not realistic to think about just managing 15 cases in the United States. Yeah. I think we need to be switching to be thinking more about hospital preparedness and um, non-pharmaceutical interventions and providing guidance for, for schools to think about closures. I mean, all of that to be, to, to be a little more forward leaning in thinking about how we're preparing. Yeah, I mean, you, this morning you said, you know, you guys are potentially, what's the, the Chinese students? Because we're at Georgetown, basically, University right now, we, basically. We are at Georgetown University. Yeah, yep. so, so tell me about, like, what you guys or what you propose to kind of maybe even. Well, I think it's, um, 
what is really cool about this university, it is a, it is a, it is a global campus, right? And not only do we actually have a campus in Doha, but we have students from all over the world, from China, from every, from all, but all sorts of But you have a campus, we have a campus. We have a campus in Doha, yeah. In China? No, no, Doha, in um, UAE, in the Middle East. Oh, I was like, I'm yeah. thinking of like <laughs> Wuhan. I don't know like the yeah, provinces. it's all good. Really? Um, Georgetown? Yeah. Damn, that's cool. Uh, that. Actually, a lot, of, a lot of institutions now have um, locations in other parts of the world. Look at them, all right, cool. I, that's, that's cool. That's what's really neat, right? That's awesome. Um, and we have amazing students from all over the world. And we have, on any given day, we also have an open campus. So I don't know who's on campus today. That's true. Also really exciting. And it's the type of energy that contributes to um, kind of, uh, you know, the, the advancing intellectual thought. Mm -hmm. Big time. All awesome. But also means that um, you also have to think about the implications for that. And if we have a virus, say, that is spreading around the world, yeah. what does that mean for our little community here and for our network of communities around the world? Um, and so one of the things is, you know, we have, um, we have a lot of Chinese students, and we're really fortunate to have them. And a lot of them are going to be graduating uh, in the next semester, which is, you know, yay for them. Yeah. We want to celebrate that. Um, there's a current challenge is that the State Department currently has a travel ban for um, nobody is being allowed from China into the U.S. who's not a U.S. citizen or a close family member. So, you know, we are, we are just at the beginning of starting to think about, well, what does that mean for our students? You know, does it mean that, it, and it's, I think, way too early to start the planning of, does that mean that, you know, their parents might not see them graduate? Yeah. So, but, but, but we just don't know yet. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy, though. That would suck. Yeah, well, of course it would, yeah, right? But again, it's a it's this difference of like if this is not that big of a deal, then not being able to watch your kids walk across the stage becomes really disturbing. Yeah. If we're in a different situation in five months where lots of people are getting sick and unfortunately lots of people are dying, then not being able to watch kids walk across the stage is kind of the least of our worries. Exactly. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I I really think we are again. It is the middle of February. Um, we're not at a position yet of knowing what that future is going to look like. Yeah, makes sense. Well, that's scary, but good that you kind of you kind of don't know, I guess, mm -hmm. everything, which is it's kind of basically it's literally like every day there's something new that comes out. Literally every day. Literally, yeah. And and that that is actually the really neat thing. So that there's a global community of scientists and epidemiologists and legal and governance everybody in the world is weighing in on this no for sure um which is uh which is exciting and lots of new ideas and lots of new information is emerging every day yeah no i know even when we were emailing just in like the two or three day span it was like i emailed you and you're like oh now this is happening and the next day is, oh now this is i'm like jesus so it was just like yeah you know one so day every it is evolving extremely quickly that's crazy um which means that those of us trying to keep up on it are, are a little tired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those are who are you know on the front line. Uh, it's um, are are trying to do the best they can with evolving information. Um, this is this is the time where you know we need to we actually you know thank God for uh, frontline healthcare workers who are willing to to be out there and save lives and not know what they're actually dealing with. Yeah, definitely. Um, and 
and then we see where it goes. Yeah. And and also, but also, this is where preparedness is important. So contingency planning and thinking through all the things that could happen, and making sure that regardless of what those contingencies are, that you're ready. For that it. we are ready for it. Yeah. How many cases are in the U.S. Real quick. Uh, I believe 15 right now. Just 15. That, we, that that have been laboratory confirmed. confirmed that we know about. There there are hundreds of people who are currently under quarantine. They're being quarantined at military bases. Kay. So these are folks who were flown in from China, sure. um, but are in that 14-day quarantine period. And how many near the D.C. metro area? <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, there is not a single confirmed <laughs> laboratory confirmed case. In the D.C. metropolitan area. I will say, though, that in the past 24 hours, CDC has admitted that the diagnostic tests that they sent out to all the states were flawed. Um, so it's, again, it's hard to know exactly what we're dealing with at this point. Come on, CDC. What are you doing over there? I think they're trying to go as fast <laughs> as they possibly can. Um, I can't make a diagnostic test, so I don't want to be like, oh, you should have done better. Right? (laughs) It's hard. I definitely can't do it. Right? (laughs) Um, But that's also really worrisome. Like, are we making our policies based off the fact that, oh, we only have 15 cases at this point? I think we are – I would be shocked if we do not see many more cases in the U.S. Yeah. I would Not just more. I mean many more. Yeah. Like thousands. At least hundreds. Oh, shit. All right. Well. I mean, that's, it's back to no, like yeah. how the virus spreads. If we have one, then There's, we have... It's airborne. There's got to be, yeah. Then we have multiple generations. Yeah. Jesus. All right. Well, thanks for scaring me again. I, it's, it's what I'm here for. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm never inviting you to any of the parties or Great. anything. Great. No so, problem. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But seriously, thank you again for, for coming on. And, and I'm probably going to be emailing you in the coming days. And sure. if I hear something crazy, I'll just ask you probably. Um, That's what we're here for. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well... Like I said, thanks for for coming in. And that's another episode for the E4 Explicit Podcast. See you next time.